Stop the presses. Pull out the front page. Stand by for a replay. Yeah, it's those two guys from Milwaukee. Oh, those two guys from Milwaukee. Here we go again. It's those two guys from Milwaukee. Welcome to Unknown Orbits, the podcast in which two writers discuss everything science fiction from Gernsbach to Roddenberry. Welcome to a special Halloween episode of Unknown Orbits, A Walk in the Dark by Arthur C. Clarke. I'm Patrick Baird. And I'm Steve Reitze. So this is our first holiday episode. We're planning on doing several holiday episodes throughout the year. This one is for the spooky season. So we've picked a nice spooky story by the esteemed author Arthur C. Clarke. The story was originally published in Thrilling Wonder Stories, August 1950. This is a former Hugo Gernsbach publication. He lost the magazine long before that in the 1930s. It was literally on its last legs. The publishing company that owned it was phasing out its pulp magazines. This was when pulp was dying. So this would have been one of the last stories in that magazine. And this was fairly early in Arthur C. Clarke's career. He was contemporaneously to this story involved in the British Interplanetary Society and writing a lot of nonfiction promoting space travel. This was in the period where he wrote about asynchronous satellites for which he received credit throughout his life as being the person who basically invented or at least imagined the technology for what we now take for granted with our cell phones and everything else in our life, asynchronous satellites. So this is a little this is a little different than you might expect from Arthur C. Clarke, who's best known for writing a lot of very hard science fiction, you know, very speculative and very broad ranging, big ideas type science fiction. This is just a spooky little story. And without any further ado, I'm going to read the last part of the story. It includes the ending. So if you don't want a spoiler, then uh, you probably should turn off this podcast. I'm just going to read it through and... Once we're done, then we're going to talk about it, and we're going to bring in a few stories of our own for the spooky season. Now, we should give a summary of what happened before this point in the story. There's a guy that's on a planet that's a mysterious, odd, kind of weird planet, and he has to get to his spaceship before it's scheduled to take off, and he can't miss it. It's an absolute deadline. To get there, he has to go several miles through the dark. And the first thing that happens is that his tractor breaks down, so he has to walk. And then, of course, the second thing that happens is his flashlight breaks, so he's walking in the dark and starts remembering all these stories he's heard about monsters on the planet which hide in these unexplored tunnels. So here we go. It was almost a shock, though one of the most pleasant he had ever known when he saw the lights of Port Sanderson come up over the horizon. The curvature of this little world was very deceptive. It did not seem right that a planet with a gravity almost as great as Earth's should have had a horizon so close at hand. One day, someone would have to discover what lay at this world's core to give it so great a density. Perhaps the many tunnels would help. It was an unfortunate turn of thought, but the nearness of his goal had robbed it of its terror now. Indeed, the thought that he might really be in danger seemed to give his adventure a certain piquancy and heightened interest. Nothing could happen to him now, with ten minutes to go and the lights of the port already in sight. A few minutes later, 
His feelings changed abruptly when he came to the sudden bend in the road. He had forgotten the chasm that caused his detour and added a half a mile to his journey. Well, what of it? He thought stubbornly. An extra half mile would make no difference now. Another ten minutes at the most. It was very disappointing when the lights of the city vanished. Armstrong had not remembered the hill which the road was skirting. Perhaps it was only a low ridge, scarcely noticeable in the daytime. But by hiding the lights of the port, it had taken away his chief talisman and left him again at the mercy of his fears. Very unreasonably, his intelligence told him, he began to think how horrible it would be if anything happened now, so near the end of the journey. He kept the worst of his fears at bay for a while, hoping desperately that the lights of the city would soon reappear. But as the minutes dragged on, he realized that the ridge must be longer than he imagined. He tried to cheer himself by the thought that the city would be all the nearer when he saw it again, but somehow logic seemed to have failed him now. For presently, he found himself doing something he had not stooped to, even out in the waste by Carver's Pass. He stopped, turned slowly round, and with bated breath listened until his lungs were nearly bursting. The silence was uncanny, considering how near he must be to the port. There was certainly no sound from behind him. Of course there wouldn't be, he told himself angrily, but he was immensely relieved. The thought of that faint and insistent clicking had been haunting him for the last hour. So friendly and familiar was the noise that did reach him at last that the anticlimax almost made him laugh aloud. Drifting through the still air from a source clearly not more than a mile away came the sound of a landing field tractor, perhaps one of the machines loading the Canopus itself. In a matter of seconds, thought Armstrong, he would be around this ridge with the port only a few hundred yards away. The journey was nearly ended. In a few moments, this evil plane would be no more than a fading nightmare. It seemed terribly unfair. So little time. Such a small fraction of human life was all he needed now. But the gods have always been unfair to men. And now they were enjoying their little jest. For there could be no mistaking the rattle of monstrous claws in the darkness ahead of him. That's a good story. You know, you don't normally think of science fiction stories as ever being spooky. Yeah, that's something that we've talked about in the past, science fiction horror. It's going to be a personal project of mine that I'm going to be trying to find more examples of science fiction horror. But to me, this is less of a horror story than a campfire story. So what is a campfire story? I'm assuming one important element is a campfire. The reason it was... These kind of stories are called campfire stories because they literally originated from oral storytelling where workmen who were on a remote site or travelers or whoever, people were sitting around a campfire telling stories. And as you might imagine, there were a lot of common stories that got told over and over again, and some of them had a certain pattern to them. So there literally did originate in, in the days of when people sat around the campfire at night and would tell stories because there was nothing else to do. There was no TV, no radio, no music. Uh, you know, it was it was moral storytelling was the primary entertainment of the day. And if you want to get a little psychological and serious, you had people who were out of their element around the campfire, Cub Scouts, workers on a construction project, whatever. It just seems obvious to me that there's kind of the mechanism of by telling scary stories, you're taking control of this 
fear reaction you have. Yes, there are many scary campfire stories, but there's also funny campfire stories. So that it has the same structure. It's a simple story that could be told by almost anyone who is able to remember it and you know be able to, to tell a joke or tell a story without stumbling over their, their own words. So it's a simple story about people in interesting situations, and you build up tension, and then the tension is released at the end with a gag or a surprise ending or something like that. So that's how this, in my mind, this story fits the, the prototype of a campfire story. It's a relatively simple story. The protagonist is having to walk across this long distance between his, his work site on this planet to the port city and he has to cross this area where there have been strange creatures have been killing people and that's really simple so he, he hears scary sounds in the dark but he gets he thinks he gets away from it and then at the end it turns out no he didn't get away from it so it's a very simple story has a little bit of a snap ending to it so it fits that template and there's some very famous examples of campfire stories there's the famous uh, murderer with the hook hand that's a very common one. There's some funny ones. What was the funny one you told me about? It was something about the, the closet. Oh, yes, yes, the wrapping noise yeah. coming out of the closet. Open a closet and it's wrapping paper. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's, like, that's almost like an elaborate dad joke, really. And some of these were elaborate dad jokes, basically. So we thought, keeping with the Halloween season, that we would present a couple of campfire stories of our own, starting with... You, Steve. Okay, mine starts a few months ago where I was in a charity store and I was exploring scholastic books at the time and I found one and I think I even sent you a photo of the cover because it was so familiar. I flicked through it and I didn't recognize anything and it was kind of driving me crazy that this was such a familiar cover. Did not buy it. Then we start talking about campfire stories and I'm having trouble remembering any that I was told. So I go online and I search for favorite campfire stories. And it was like the second one that popped up was instantly familiar. I remembered being told this story and it had a reference to a story by Anne McGovern. That led to a book called The Haunted House and Other Spooky Tales, which was that scholastic book I had found as kids in the 70s. Apparently, it was that version of the story that got told around and changed. But it's a story that was already in existence before she retold it in yes. written form. So it's like that makes it a classic campfire story that it was an, an like Alamagusa. It was an oral tale that existed for decades before it was actually set down in writing and became famous or well known. Yes, I ran across a reference that says that the story in various forms go back to 1851 when the first version was written. And it explains, there's an interesting tidbit about that version of the story, but it gives away the ending. So I will say that afterwards. Okay. So as not from The Haunted House and Other Spooky Tales, but as I heard the story as a kid. That's the best way to tell it, how you remember it and told in your own voice. Okay. A long time ago, a beautiful woman came into town. She was very popular, went to all the society events and church, and was known for always wearing a velvet ribbon around her neck. She met a young man, and he fell in love with her. 
Of course, he asked her why she always wore this velvet ribbon, but all she would do was smile and not answer. Then came the day that they were to be married. He told her, my darling, I'm tired of seeing you wearing that ribbon. Can't you just take it off? And she said, I can't take it off, for if I did, you'd be sorry. And so they go through the wedding and their honeymoon, and the whole time she's wearing the ribbon. Years went by, and she never took off the ribbon. Slowly, the man grew more and more annoyed by it until he finally ordered her to take off that damned ribbon. And she said, I cannot, because if I did, you'd be sorry. Well, a few more days go by, and the man's getting more and more frustrated at the ribbon every day. Finally, he decides he was going to do something about it. So one night, he waited until his wife was deep asleep. Then very, very quietly, he got out of bed, snuck over to her sewing basket, and took out the scissors. Then he tiptoed up to the bed, slid the blade of the scissors under the ribbon, and snip! He cut the ribbon. And with a heavy thump, her head fell to the floor, and as it rolled away, he could hear her voice saying, I told you you'd be sorry. <laughs> that's great. I've heard that version somewhere along the line, too. That's a story that is, is familiar to me. Now, the element in the original story, you'll see why it couldn't tell. The woman was a survivor, more or less, of the French Revolution, that she had had her head cut off. She had been guillotined. Yes. See, that's the example of the writer adding some good detail to flesh out the story. You know, that's good. So... My campfire story is a variation of one of the most famous campfire stories of all time, and you'll recognize it, I think, as soon as I start telling it. Two young people, a boy and a girl, decide to go out parking in the woods. They go out to Lover's Lane to park and make out. When they arrive there, the boyfriend keeps the radio on with some music playing, so they have some music to accompany their lovemaking. They're kissing and making out and enjoying each other and suddenly the announcer on the radio breaks into the music and says flash bulletin insane murderer has escaped from the local insane asylum everyone please stay in your homes until the police have recaptured this dangerous criminal and the the girl she says to her boyfriend oh i'm scared let's get out of here let's go home and the boyfriend's like, no, no, it'll be okay. Don't worry. That's all. Then sane asylums all the way on the other side of town. We're safe. Don't worry. I'll protect you. So they, he tries to go back to making love to her. But she's increasingly nervous. And she keeps saying, no, no, Johnny, please, let's just take me home. I'm, I'm not in the mood anymore. I'm scared. And Johnny continues to insist, no, no, this will be, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's not anywhere near us. And then suddenly they hear the crackling of underbrush somewhere outside of the car. Now she's really scared. She's nearly terrified. She said, Johnny, Johnny, quick, drive us home. Please drive us home. But Johnny won't let go. Johnny's like, okay, all right, all right, look, I'll go investigate and I'll see what that noise is. It's, it's probably just an animal. It's a raccoon or something. And then everything will be fine and we can get back to making love to each other. And she's like, no, 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 Johnny, don't leave the car. Don't leave me alone. Please, Johnny, stay here. Take us home. Let's just go home. And Johnny's like, no, don't worry, honey. I'm not afraid. It's just a raccoon. So he exits the car, shuts the door behind him, and disappears out into the darkness. Now, the girl waits 
a minute, two minutes, and she doesn't hear anything. She doesn't hear any, anything at all. She can't hear her boyfriend. So she calls out to him. She's, Johnny, Johnny, where are you? Johnny, come back. Come back to the car, please. Please, Johnny. She can't hear anything. So another minute goes by, and still no sign of her boyfriend. She calls out again, Johnny, Johnny, where are you? Please come back. And then she begins to hear on the roof of the car, tap, tap, tap. Something's tapping on the roof of the car. She cries out, oh God, Johnny, please, please come back. I can't take it anymore. I'm so scared. Tap, tap, tap. Something's tapping on the top of the car. She's completely losing it at this point. She can't stand it. Then suddenly a blinding light comes through the windshield and she screams. She screams in terror. She's completely terrified at this point. Tap, tap, tap. Suddenly the door of the car is yanked open and the light is bursting in on her and she's screaming, screaming in terror. And then she hears a voice and she sees that it's a policeman standing there in the doorway of her car holding a flashlight. And he says, ma'am, ma'am, you're safe now. Don't worry. You're okay. I need you to come out of the car with me. I need to take you away. You're going to be fine, but I need you to come with me. And she goes, where's Johnny? Where's my boyfriend? I I don't know what happened to him. He went away in the woods and I haven't heard from him. And the police officer says, ma'am, you're fine. You're okay. You're going to be safe, but you need to come with me. And he reaches out and he takes her hand and he gently pulls her from the car. And just before she exits the car, he says to her, you're going to be fine, but whatever you do, don't look back. And so they exit the car. She takes several steps. And of course, she can't stop herself. She has to turn around and she turns around and looks And there, hanging from a tree branch over her car, is the severed head of her boyfriend. And from his neck stump, blood is dripping down on the top of the car. Tap, tap, tap. That's a very good story. That's my campfire story. It's a a variation of the killer with the hook story. And you know what? I think you have the advantage in storytelling, having been a parent. Having been a parent, but also I should point out that I went to the state finals for forensics and storytelling in high school. I tried forensics in high school, but I couldn't stand the sight of blood. (laughs) So that's our campfire stories. Do you have anything else to add, Steve? No, though I don't care if anyone knows it, but I like black licorice, candy corn, and circus peanuts. I will agree with you on candy corn and disagree with you on the other two. Okay. Good luck trying to find circus peanuts anymore. So that's it for our special Halloween edition of Unknown Orbits. I'm Patrick Baird. And I'm Steve Reitzey. Keep watching the sky. That's all for today. Pat and I thank you for listening and invite you to come back for the next episode of Unknown Orbits. guys from Milwaukee.